Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod. And my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, it is game week. How you feeling? I can't believe it's here. It's been so long. It feels like even though what games wrapped up in January, it feels like it's been a year and a half. So I couldn't be more excited for game week and what we have coming up. And we have... Uh, you know, our game on Monday. Yeah, man. What can I you know, s- a week from today, we are recording on Monday night. Robbie, give us a cheers before we get into our news and notes. I think I'm going to have to... You know what? I'm going to cheers to, well, just college football being back. I know I do that every year, and I think I have to. It's just... It's such a great sport. It's so many bad things have happened this offseason. I'm just so ready to move on and actually care about sports and on the field production. And that's not to ignore a lot of the bad things that happen, but in any case, let's just cheers to it being back. Finally. Cheers, man. So the day after we released our podcast, the AP poll was released. Uh, Virginia Tech came in at number 20 in that poll. Our opening week opponent, Florida State, came in at number 19. And some other noteworthy ones was Notre Dame at 12, Miami at 8, and then we had Clemson at 2 behind Bama. That Miami in the top 10, I guess that's not too surprising, but I was surprised how much distance there was between Notre Dame and them. Yeah, I thought that was pretty surprising there. Um you know, people are are pretty high on uh, on them this year, so we'll see what ends up happening. I, I I never put too much stock in the preseason polls. I think they give you a general idea of who people are excited about watching on the field, but it shakes up so fast. I mean, you know, there you have those weeks where eight, nine, top twenty five lose. That right. happens every year. So we'll see. We'll see how things play. And out. And again, our ranking seems a little lofty, but. I like the fact that we're ranked. It makes the FSU Virginia Tech game one of only four ranked games in week one. Now, if we go out there and get smoked, I don't think I'm going to like it very much. But uh, we're going to do our Florida State preview in this episode, and we'll give you a better idea, at least about what we're thinking. Not that we know what's going to happen in the game, because it is game one for a new coach on one side and a whole new side of the team on the Virginia Tech side of the football. So it's uh, uh, it's going to be interesting. There's been a few camp updates this week, and the one I thought was most noteworthy was Khalil Ladler looks to be the starting free safety beating out Diablo. Diablo is the the guy who had a lot of the hype, and he's built and a hard hitter and all that kind of stuff and had a great beginning to last year. But once Terrell went down and Diablo was already down, Ladler stepped in nicely at the end of the season, and I guess his progress has just kept going. Yeah, I I have to wait and see what happens in game time conditions to really put too much faith in who's going to be starting at which position. I hope that the coaches have it figured out that well, but we've seen shakeups at the beginning of the season uh, with people getting the start and then quickly kind of moving out. Uh, I don't I don't know what's going to end up happening there. I do agree that it's interesting because there has been so much talk about Diablo um, amongst a lot of the media. So. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how if they get him on the field and how often. A little bit of sad news that came out of camp was Tisdale, one of our freshman linebackers, is done for the year. He's a promising young guy, pretty high recruit. He probably would have redshirted anyway, but it's still a bummer to see him go down. I believe that was an Achilles injury. 
couple position things. We had talked about punt returner and kick returner. We weren't sure who's going to be bringing back the punts, but it looks like C.J. Carroll and Damon Hazelton, our big wide receiver, are actually fielding the punts and getting the reps there. And Caleb Farley indeed was confirmed by Fuente. He is bringing back kicks, but Terrius Wheatley is working there as well. No Devin Hunters from from what we've heard. Yeah, I, a little bit surprising, only that um, we didn't see Devin Hunter. I think people were excited about the potential of that happening, but. Overall, I think the other four were relatively chalk if you wanted to pick kind of uh, two and two yeah. what you thought was going to be out there. So It's funny to have such a big guy in Hazleton out there bringing back kicks. You normally see the smaller speedsters, um, but since it's punt return, they said the biggest key is catching the football, and Hazleton is, has the shortest hand, so they want him back there for punts. Yeah, it does make me a little bit worried. I don't <laughs> – with him catching – but, I mean, that's – probably one of the more dangerous uh, things that you can be doing is you know taking punts yeah, in terms of him getting uh, injured yeah <laughs> yeah and with how much if there's excitement about diablo there's a lot more excitement about hazelton what he's going to do this year some florida state game notes deandre francois was named the starter against virginia tech all off season it looked like it was gonna be blackman because he had participated in spring practice and francois was still rehabbing the acl but He's made up a lot of ground, and if you look at his numbers compared to Blackman's numbers, he does seem to be the better quarterback on paper if fully healthy. Yep, I think that if assuming his health was there, I think most people suspected it was going to be him. Just given his legs and you know his ability and improvement, we can get into when we do the preview uh, some of the things people have been saying about him uh, during the offseason. As for our status going into the game, Looks like Mahota is very limited right now. Bud said he's hoping for 10 to 15 plays from Mahota. That's not great for the depth in that game against what could be a high-tempo team, a a hot game. Uh, We would want him to play as many snaps as possible. Yeah, I was worried about the... I said it in our preview. I said the defensive line was what I was worried about. And uh, now I'm... If not more worried, very worried. I'll yeah. go from uh, moderately to, to very. And Trevon's Hill status seems to be in question. We're not exactly sure if that's an injury or a disciplinary situation. Ricky Walker says he expects him to play. We don't really have any information on that. And so uh, we're really hoping Trevon Hill plays because if he's out for any more than a quarter, our defensive line depth and just top end goes down immensely. Yeah, there's no, everybody is saying the same thing. It's just rumors right now as to what it could be, but um, it's enough to unnerve people going into the game. So we'll see what ends up happening um, and uh, whether he's out there. So to help us with the Florida state preview, Andy bitter agreed to come on the podcast. So we are going to give Andy a call now. We are now welcoming in Andy Bitter from The Athletic. Andy, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. If anyone's listening to this podcast, they are probably familiar with Andy's work. He covered the Hokies for a long time with the Roanoke Times and recently made the jump to The Athletic. And for people who don't know, The Athletic is a subscription-based sports website that started a couple years ago. They've got several hundred writers covering all the major sports. And including Andy now, I think they have 19 college football beats. Is that right? Something like that. Somewhere in that neighborhood. 
we wanted to know how the transition has been from traditional sports beat writing from a newspaper uh, now to this new format, which is becoming more popular, the subscription-based service. Yeah, it, it's a little different. I mean, the, the aims of The Athletic are a little different than what newspapers were. And the, the way it was described to me when they were pitching me to try to join uh, was that they wanted to sort of be the Netflix for sports writing. Uh, you know, newspapers are always going to have their place. There's always a, an urgency and a daily grind and, and, you know, quick hitter stories and stuff like that. And at the athletic, they want us to be, you know, deep dives on stuff. They don't want to, uh, you know, you go after a game, they don't want a quick 200 word story right as the game ends. And then you go down and get quotes and you update that and you do notes and you do all these little things. They want me just to go to the game write the single best story on the single best topic from the game, take my time to do it. And then they'll post it online, but it happens. Uh, and that is sort of, a, that is sort of a liberating feeling to have that opportunity. I mean, I'm, you know, we're, we're going to go down to the Florida state game in the opener. And in the past I'd be sitting there worrying about, well, I got to write halftime notes because uh, they got to have those early for the, the, the paper to have ready to print. I got to write a, a running game story that I file right at the, the gun. And basically I'm just re- reciting facts of the game that people have already watched uh, with the athletic. I'm going to be able to just observe the game. You, you'd be amazed at how little of the games you actually watch in the press box sometimes with all the work you had to do. I'll be able to go down on the field in the last five minutes, something I haven't done in probably 10 years because I've always had to file a story right after the game is over. I'll be able to take in some of the sights and sounds down there, go in and get the interviews, go through the interviews that I find most interesting, then go up and write a good story about that afterwards and just have to write one story and make it really good. So uh, by kind of uh, eschewing some of the nuts and bolts stuff and the, the daily grind that the newspaper stuff has, I think it allows you to write these sort of uh, more interesting stories or a more nuanced piece about a certain aspect of the game instead of just trying to cover everything all at once. And uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, I listen to your podcast with McFarling all the time, and this is probably the most excited I've ever heard you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I have I had worked in newspapers for almost 16 years, about six, 15 okay. and a half, something like that. Uh, and it was, you know, you kind of fall into the routine of what newspapers expect. And, you know, we, you know, I wrote about Virginia tech football basically every day throughout the, the full season, uh, throughout the full year, I should say, uh, into the off season. And, you know, you kind of hit the same beats every spring. It's like, Oh, here's the position by position previews. Now we hit the spring ball. We do the post spring uh, position reviews. And I might still do some of that now because there's some analysis involved in that, but uh, it, it's interesting to go into this new venture where there's, uh, you know, a different style of writing or they, there's a different expectation of what they want in certain things. They want, you know, deeply reported stories with, uh, interesting angles. And, you know, you know sometimes you sort of need that fresh start or a, a new position to sort of energize you about something. And so I, I think this is giving me a little bit of juice here. I'm, I'm a little, uh, excited for this whole thing. And go figure that, you know, with uh, all the bad things that had to come for the athletic to um, come to potential with what happened with Grantland and ESPN, it ended up working out, I think, for the fan base to the best because some of the best journalists are now working there and putting out uh, amazing content. So it was a tough road to get there, but I think we're all appreciative now of the product that's coming out of the athletic um, and, and what we get to digest on a, on a day-to-day basis. So it's exciting. Yeah, I, I think it's a gradual process. I mean, it, it's a it's an uphill battle 
to get people used to, to the idea of paying for content. And that's the big thing. That's the sort of the Rubicon they're crossing here is, you know, Grantland, like you mentioned, that was a free site. Uh, you know, newspapers have been free sites mostly and all this stuff, but it's, it's really expensive to try to gather news and to, to go to these places and travel and cover these teams. And you've just seen newspapers just get bled dry over the last, you know, 25 years. Uh, sort of these soulless corporations that take over them and hack them down to the bone. And it's like, how do you make a living doing something like this? So uh, it, it's a battle to try to get people to, to pony up money for something like this. And ours isn't very expensive. I mean, with the deals that we run, you can get it for like three bucks a month and that gives you access to the entire site. Uh, so it's just getting over that hurdle of getting people used to like, Hey, this is maybe something worth paying for because you get you know premier quality content out of it. I would agree with that. And you think about how much money we spend on bar tabs and going out. And especially if you live in Northern Virginia, uh, things are expensive. And, and by comparison, the athletic is, is not at all. I subscribed. I'm also a Philadelphia sports fan. So I get all that coverage. In addition to now having the VT beat, I'm really not trying to pump the product too much, but I just, I really, really like it. Hey, I don't mind. If you want to pump the product, <laughs> pump away. It, it's good for like an a la carte fan like that where, you know, people kind of get the spaced out. I think somebody like tweeted at me. It's like, well, I'm a Miami fan and this and a Boston fan. Like, you know, you pick different teams that are out there and you're kind of scattered about. This is a good place to get all the coverage in one spot. Like you mentioned, the price is pretty good. I mean, like, you know, beers in D.C., what are they, like nine bucks a pop? Yeah, relatively cheap compared to one beer up there. So, you know, it's just maybe don't drink a, a fifth beer on a single night. You can stick to four, and then you can pay for three months of the athletic to go with it. That's right. Well, as a as a bridge from there to the VT program, um, well, and with regard to media access, uh, it's been relatively limited, making a lot of people that want to put out news in, uh, and notes on the team during the offseason pretty frustrated um, since Fuente has come in. Even beyond just the inability to market the VT program, I think appropriately when you start to not, you know, televise spring games. So you're um, kind of, you know, taking out a lot of the fan base that may not be local or can't travel for the game. But the parallel has come into the fact that it is, um, you know, a lot of what we see and and hear in the news is about coaches feeling like they have you know, a lot of power, making unilateral decisions, not having the correct amount of oversight. Um, and not so much that those two things are directly correlated, but it's a culture of, uh, of necessarily the empowerment of, of these coaches and what we see at Maryland and these bad, troubling things that are coming out. I'm just wondering what, what your thoughts are on that, having to directly deal with the, what has been more limited media access, it seems, over the, over the years. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that sort of... Uh correlation there that parallel there that it's sort of the cult of the coach at all these schools and what the coach says goes and the fans a lot of them just fall in line and quite honestly the administration at a lot of places just kind of fall in line uh you look at the kind of money that they're throwing at these coaches uh i mean urban meyer makes what seven or eight million dollars a year i don't even know what the figure is right now it's it's an absurd amount at, at a place that is supposedly uh, an institution of higher learning. So when he gets in trouble, like a situation like this, you can see why it's nearly impossible to fire him. He's the most powerful man on the campus. And when you're the most powerful man on the campus, yeah, I mean, when when you're that powerful, what you say goes. 
And it's not like there's any sort of, uh, you know, over, you know, legislative body that oversees all of football. I mean, the NCAA is the schools. So that, that's not always sort of the misnomer there. It's not like the NCAA controls how these schools act. The schools tell the NCAA how they want to act and they have no control over how these coaches are going to run their program. So, you know, a lot of these coaches, what they say goes on their campus. They're sort of mini dictators uh, in a sense, and they get really paranoid. I'll tell you what did not help was that whole Wakey Leaks thing uh, a couple of years ago. (laughs) No, it did not. That gave gave every coach in America a reason to be paranoid about everybody that's out there. And, uh, you know, know, oh, if our home radio guy is out there giving away secrets, like imagine what these media members out there are going to do uh, if they're there watching the practice, they're going to, Oh, heaven forbid, they're going to report on this stuff. I mean, I, I find it comical at times because I mean, we're talking about football here. I mean, it's not, I think I saw somebody quoted the uh, a Wisconsin coach about why they're so open. It's like, it's football. It's not the Manhattan project here. You know, it's not this it's top secret thing that we're doing. Uh, I think sometimes these coaches are just, very, very paranoid about stuff, and uh, it's just easier to shut it all down and to grant a little bit of access. The funny thing to me is that they shut out the media at all these things, and a lot of these schools allow boosters, if you pay a certain amount of money or a certain level of booster, to go to these practices or high school coaches or something like that. And it just doesn't connect with these head football coaches that these are the guys that oftentimes go straight to these message boards. And post what they've seen up there. I mean, you always got to see how this stuff leaks out on the message boards first. Well, that most of the time is where that's happening. So it's it's interesting to me that these coaches aren't putting two and two together like that. Uh, I guess money talks when you're a booster and you get access like that. But and the bottom line is, is there's really no recourse for a media member like myself. I mean, you can complain about it, but at the end, nobody's going to be uh, – these coaches aren't accountable to anybody in terms of opening up access or anything like that. I mean, the FWAA uh, will try, Football Writers Association of America will try to get, uh, you know, standard access to all these programs, but it's really just a suggestion in the long run. These coaches are going to do what they're going to do. And uh, for a coach like Fuente, who was groomed under Gary Patterson for a couple years, and Gary Patterson, not the most open coach with access. <laughs> not uh, even close. I, I, yeah, I think that's where it comes from. I think he, that's just sort of how he was raised in the coaching industry. So he's, I mean, he follows Gary Patterson in basically everything else he does in terms of, uh, in regards to, to practice schedules and stuff like that. It would make sense that he's going to have sort of the same attitude in terms of openness. So I find it ridiculous personally. I, I, I think you are maybe costing your, your school some branding opportunities. I mean, it's free advertising to let reporters like myself cover this team. I mean, advertising is expensive and you're allowing people to come in and and write about your school and they're putting out the product for you. Uh, And I would say 95% of the time, at least it's probably positive stuff. I mean, sure. They're going to be stories are going to be negative, but those are going to get reported anyway in some form or fashion. I, I feel like if you would allow a little bit more access, it probably would be beneficial to the program. Yeah, that's where, you know, and I have a lot of thoughts on it. That's the one that probably irks me the most is the the fact that you're you're missing out this offseason, this past one. And I'm excited to talk about football here in a moment um, was and I, I polled a lot of people that we know in the in the Virginia Tech kind of circuit was the least enthusiastic that I had heard in a long time. And Pete and I talked about it in the offseason. 
because there was no information, right? You're, you're completely, you know, you're taking your fan base and you're giving them nothing to get really juiced up about it on the season other than either speculation or little tidbits. Um, and I, I just think it's a lost opportunity to generate a lot of excitement about the program. But have you seen any changes over the course of Fuente's tenure? When he first came in, it seemed like he was extremely extremely tight-lipped in the program, very closed. Has that opened up at all? It seems like it a little bit, but, you know, you're, you're closest to it. So, you know, interested in your thoughts on that. I don't think it's opened up at all uh, myself. If anything, I think uh, the access is maybe a little more constrained than it was. Uh, I mean, I, I'm trying to think when we started, if everybody that talked to us was at a podium, but that is certainly the case now. They bring every single guy up to the podium, and it's all in front of this sort of bank of cameras in the back. And it's like, this is so impersonal. Like, you can't, like, do stories, like, human interest stories. It's just, like, awkward to be asking this stuff in a formal setting like that at a podium. Uh, you know, there are occasions where you can get a guy off the podium. Uh, you know, Caleb Farley earlier this year when I, I wrote the story about uh, his mother. He lost his mother in the past year to breast cancer. Now, that's not a story I want to be asking him questions at the podium. You know, it's a little impersonal uh, with something like that. So they've allowed that for certain situations. But, uh, I mean, I think back to even five years ago, and, you know, Frank was pretty good with access. They got a little bit worse toward the end. They sort of restricted things a little bit. But, you, you know, they brought guys into a room. You could kind of work the room, and not everything was at a podium, and not everything was so formal. Uh, and ever since Fuente has gotten there, it's been very formal. So I, I don't, I don't think it has improved. Maybe my memory is fading uh, here, or I'm misremembering exactly how it was before. But uh, it, it has certainly not gotten better in my eyes. Well, let's transition into some actual football stuff. You put out an article this morning on the running game, and it's been an issue for years and a particularly hot topic as of late. I've read your article. I couldn't believe how many rushing attempts we've had over the past two years. It practically tops in the ACC, right up there with Georgia Tech, and there's been minimal results, as we're all aware. With the O-line finally getting a little love, how much pressure is on McLeese, Peoples, and company to be more efficient this year? I think they feel it a little bit. Cause I, you know, when we talked to Fuente and we talked to Zon Burton, you know, I think they thought the blocking was pretty good last year at times and, and the running backs did not take advantage of that and get to the second level and make somebody miss. And, and that's really what's been lacking. I mean, I think they had like seven rushes of 20 or more yards last year. I think the longest one was by Josh Jackson. I think AJ Bush had a long one. Like the longest run by a tailback was like Coleman Fox at 36 yards or something like that. Yeah, they, that came when they were beaten. They were beating North Carolina by like 50 at that point. Like that was just not a, a run that came in a crucial part of the game. And you think back to the history of Virginia Tech's running backs, it's like, think of all the big plays and the long runs and touchdowns that they had. And just think about what it takes to be an efficient running game. You need those runs. This is uh, part of what makes an offense effective is you don't have to go 10, 12, 14 plays at a time and have things go right all the time over the course of seven minutes to get the ball in the end zone. You can just score in those chunk plays. That's a really big deal for an offense to sort of take that next step. So, yeah, I, I think they thought the blocking was good enough last year and that the running backs need to make more out of that. So I, I think they are feeling a little bit of pressure this year. Uh, it, it's an interesting group. I, you know, I think it's Peoples and McLeese at the top. Uh, Fuente just loves Peoples. He just loves his style. Uh, McLeese, everybody saw him kind of coming on at the end of last year. 
Uh, it sounds like Jalen Holston and Terrius Wheatley are sort of battling for reps in that third spot, and they're not necessarily the same type of runners. Um, now, everybody coming back except Trayvon McMillan, I think they have a chance to get better. And I think with what McLeish showed at the end of the last year and what people showed when he was healthy, I think they've got a chance to be improved. But uh, it, it's going to have to be a significant step forward because that, that running game has been very lacking lately. And uh, like, like you mentioned before, it's not for lack of trying because they feed it to them a lot and they just haven't gotten the results that uh, have been that great. QB Josh Jackson should be a big part of the running game as well. And Josh seems poised to make a big leap this year, especially as a passer. Do you think the surrounding cast is going to allow him to do so? And what are your expectations for Josh? Yeah, I think so. I mean, think back to last year and what Fuente said at the start of the year. And he said, you know, my biggest concern is not starting a redshirt freshman quarterback. It's that he's going to have the pieces around him that are going to be good enough to help him succeed. Uh, Really, that was a concern. Once he got past Cam Phillips, there were no receivers that were steady guys that produced from week to week. I mean, by the end of the year, it was Savoy and Kuma that had kind of stepped up. Uh, And even they were hit or miss from week to week. Uh, You know, the offensive line was pretty good, but the running game was non-existent. I mean, they need those things around him uh, to make him a successful quarterback. So uh, you, you lose Teller, you lose Cam Phillips, but I think there's a deeper roster of receivers this year who can contribute. Uh, I, I think it's a pretty veteran offensive line. I mean, you got two six-year guys, essentially. Braxton Pfaff has been here forever, along with Kyle Chung. Nijman's there. A couple of redshirt juniors who will be competing for jobs there. I, I think that's a pretty experienced group. I, I mentioned the running backs before. I think they're better. Uh, you know, Last year, you started Dalton Keene 12 games as a true freshman at tight end. I mean, I think the tight end situation is better. I think just... Overall, the maturity of the offense is going to be better, and, and that's going to benefit Jackson as a whole. And he, you know, he needs to be better. I mean, he, he's admitted that himself. You know, end of last year, I don't think he was healthy necessarily. He had the arm thing. Yeah, I think he was dealing with an ankle thing from the sounds of it, too. Uh, you know, he didn't play his best down the stretch. There were throws that he left on the field, but it's not like he was trying to make throws into a window that was like one foot by one foot. These aren't NFL throws that he's trying to thread the needle on. They're throws where guys are wide open down the field. And I think he understands that if he just makes those routine throws down the field and operates within the offense, he can be a much better quarterback this year. He doesn't need to be some sort of superhuman out there uh, to take this offense to the next level. So I, I think it's pretty attainable. Uh, a step forward for him. And if he takes a step forward and these other guys are maturing on the offense, I think it can be much improved this year. So it's probably a, an appropriate time to <laughs> transition to what might not be such of a step forward and probably a significant step back on the defense side. Um, you know, the major concern was in the back seven on D just given the youth uh, tons of talent, I think, over the long term, but um, uh, more an experience than this defense has seen probably in a long time. That uh, is now spread over, it seems, to potentially the defensive line with Mahota being limited against FSU. Um, questions about Hill and what's going on in that situation, if there is even a situation. And then um, DeAndre Francois just got announced the starter versus uh, Virginia Tech. So, between all of the, um, you know those factors and just the youth in general, what do you expect for this game on Monday night? And um, how potent do you think this FSU offense could be against uh, this inexperienced defense? That's just the thing. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's what makes this so intriguing. 
this this matchup coming up is I just don't know how either one of these teams is going to perform. I mean, you're talking about Florida State who's coming off its worst season in 40 years uh, with a brand-new coach. And I know they're loaded with talent, but when you have a brand-new coach, sometimes it takes a while for the things to kind of hit on all cylinders. I mean, think back to Fuente's first game when he was here against Liberty, and, you know, Liberty was leading uh, late in the second quarter of that game. And then, you know, Virginia Tech got a couple touchdowns, I think, before halftime and ended up winning. Uh, it wasn't like a blow-em-off-the-field type situation. There were still some, some things that had to be ironed out with this offense. So sometimes that talent can shine through, and sometimes I think the operation just isn't quite there yet. Uh, so I wonder about a quarterback like Francois, who hasn't played in a year uh, in a game, or an offensive line that's been a question mark lately, uh, certainly going up against a, a Virginia Tech defensive line that's got some guys, uh, especially Ricky Walker, Housing Gaines out there, because they can do some stuff. Uh, I'm interested. You look at the running back crew. I mean, goodness. I mean, <laughs> come on, Laybourne was he third string, and he was a guy that Virginia Tech desperately wanted here and probably would be starting if he was playing here. That's yeah. sort of the the wealth of running backs that they have there. I mean, Cam Akers is unbelievable. They've got three or four guys that can take it to the house if you miss a tackle. I think that's my biggest concern if I'm a Tech fan going into this game is, uh, you know, young defenses tend not to be in the right place all the time. And if you're not in the right gap and that running back hits that hole, they've got the guys that can take it to the house and make you pay for that. Uh, you know, they put your Virginia Tech puts corners on an island quite a bit, and they don't always have the most help out there. And you've got some cornerbacks that have really never played cornerback before in a college game. I mean, Bryce Watts and Caleb Farley, I'm guessing are going to be the first team guys and they've got potential, but you know, young guys make young mistakes like that. And, uh, you know, big plays have sort of been uh, the bugaboo of this Bud Foster defense uh, the last couple of years. I think that's sort of the trade-off you make when you're such an aggressive group like that. Uh, Florida State has enough weapons to make you pay big if you make mistakes like that. So I, I think that's the concern on that side of the ball versus you know, Florida State's offense. How much are they going to have the the offense down at that point and kind of hitting on all cylinders? And uh, it's one of those great things where I have no idea how it's going to play out. And I'm sure I'm going to have to make a prediction on this game coming up. And I, I really don't know how it's going to go. So I mean, that's fun because a lot of games you go into and you're like, ah, I kind of know how this is going to go. And this team's really good. And this team's that great in this area. There are so many unknowns on, on both sides of the ball here that uh, I'm really interested to see how this game plays out. Yeah, I think the teams are similar in nature. You've got quarterbacks that have both started for one season but had their issues, and you've got extremely young defenses. And you, the offenses are supposed to both be better than the defenses, I think, in this upcoming game. And the question is really, will our offense like hit the ground running because we're in year three of a head coach, and will theirs you know, be clicking on all cylinders quite yet. I, that's that's really what it comes down to. Because I think both both teams are going to score points. I just whose defense can get acclimated more quickly, and and will our offense outperform theirs? I, I don't know if we can keep up with the Knolls. I I have the same thought, but again, I just don't know how good Florida State's offense will be because it it's a brand new offense, and it's Willie Taggart who, who's had success everywhere he's gone. I just it's those first game. Uh, deal with with a new coach that I, I just you wonder how quickly they can get things cranked up. Let's do your FSU prediction, and I can frame it with the spread, which has been moving a little bit. And I think with the Francois news, they got an extra half a point, so you get a hook now. But Florida State is seven and a half point favorites. You know they're at home. We're coming into their house. How do you feel about that spread? Who would you take? 
I mean, I, I think Florida State's going to win the game. I think this is a tough spot for the Hokies to go into for a young group like this to play in that kind of atmosphere. Uh, my gut would say Florida State to cover, but I don't know how comfortable I would feel saying that. I could see Florida State by like 10, something like that. But at the same time, I've made so many arguments against how quickly this offense is going to pick things up that I, I wonder if it'll be even that much. So I guess I'm giving a terrible answer here because I'm not good at it. No, it's tough. Spread like this, but I, yeah, I'll say Florida State, but I'm going to say it with like no confidence whatsoever. Yeah, there are so many unknowns. Uh, I'm excited to watch it, but I, I have no clue what's going to happen. I think Robbie's in the same boat. Great work so, so far at The Athletic. Though, right? we, we loved the Hazleton and the Tyrone Knicks pieces. Uh, the, the Hazleton piece in particular I really, really enjoyed about his you know, Baltimore and, and had, working out with Odell Beckham and all that kind of stuff. That was really cool. Is there anything you want to let us know about what you've got going on, how to subscribe, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I've tweeted out some uh, links. Through the end of this month, you can still get the 40% off deal. And that gets you in for $36 for the year, 3 bucks a month. Uh, you know, if you're a student, there's a 50% off deal. If you have an EDU email, uh, you can get 50% off. So it's basically $30 for the year. My whole you know, pitch is to just give it a try. Just see if you like it. Because I, I think if people get on the site they'll see what we have to offer in so many different things. And if you subscribe to the site, it's not just my stuff. You get everything on the site, every professional team, college football, everything that's up there. You know, we have soccer teams now that are covering, uh, you know, English premier league teams, uh, fantasy sports. Uh, you know, there's been an NBA push to, uh, to get guys there. Uh, I just think it's, it's, Something that if people go there and they try it out, they go, hey, this is worth three bucks a month or something like that. So just give it a try. That's all we ask. And I mean, one of your coworkers is Fo Pellini. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's right. The Fo Pellini. I've never met him. I've never met him. So I don't know what he's like in person. But uh, yeah, we, he, he is writing his usual stuff for the, the college football section. It's hilarious because. On the app, you can sort by author, and you can just choose to follow the authors you want or the teams you want or whatever. The app is pretty cool. But on the app, it's got all the actual names of the reporters, and then one of them is just Faux Pellini. <laughs> I wonder if he's legally changed his name to Faux Pellini. That, that would be a, a, a big move there to do something like that. Are you a beer drinker, Andy? Because you know on this podcast, we drink beers on every episode. Do you have a go-to? I drink beer. I, I am uh, probably going to disappoint you because I'm not like a big craft beer guy. Uh, it's just not my thing. So I That's like right. cheap beer. Honestly, I yeah, I went to Wisconsin for school, uh, and that is like the land of cheap beers. Because <laughs> yeah. the whole goal of Wisconsin is just to drink in mass quantities. So I, I think that's warped me for life that I just like the cheapest beer possible. So. Yeah, if I'm choosing, I, honestly, I'll just drink like a Bud Light, and that's so lame and boring. I know, but uh, it's fine. It's man. The direction whatever, that you whatever, go. You know, we all are just we're just trying to get by. If Bud Light or Budweiser's your thing, go for it. I mean, I'm surprised. Cause I thought it was going to be Miller with the whole Wisconsin thing. <laughs> it used to be Miller, uh, but I sort of transitioned since I got out of there. Uh, you know, they're all basically the same. Yeah, I mean, yeah let's yeah. be honest. <laughs> Well, Andy, we really appreciate you coming on with us and, and chopping it up a little bit. Uh, I guess maybe we'll have you on again at the end of the season or next year. It'd be great to hear from you again. Best of luck with everything going on at The Athletic. Seems like it's going to be a good move, not just for uh, – 
the way you feel about it, but the quality of your work, I feel like you're, you're excited about what you can do there. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a really interesting season for me. And, and honestly, it's going to be an interesting season for the Hokies. So I'm excited for the whole thing. All right. Well, thanks again, Andy. Thanks, Andy. All right. Thanks for having me. So I don't know about you people. I thought that was um, that was pretty interesting in a lot of respects. One, uh, we probably spent a little bit more time just on his transition and just kind of the journalism, media access, all of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, than we normally would. But, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, Stu and Bruce and people do that as well. And I think it's always interesting just to kind of get some of those inside scoops on, you know, what's happening, access, what what people are having to put out in terms of writing and how much information they actually have when they're having to write it versus, you know, expanding on stories that were, you know, a one line during a press conference. So um, I I thought it was interesting and that we had the wrong um perception that more access is being granted where it sounds like it's actually continuing to tighten down. Yeah. It's, it's not getting any better if anything else is just the same. Uh, so hopefully one of these days in, in the wake of Maryland and potentially the Ohio state thing, which are terrible, terrible things that the good thing that would come out of it would be more access across all of college football. I mean, the dichotomy between Florida state having open practices. Like I think reporters can just go every single day and watch practice, which is crazy. And, and us, which, you know, they get guys at a podium every couple of days at the, at, at best. You can still win games while having open practices or more open practices. I don't care what anybody says, you know, it's, it's Pete Carroll had opened everything when he won and, and they, USC went on that dynasty. It's not, that much of an advantage and if they want the information that you have they're gonna get it anyway right well let's do a quick beer break before we finish out the fsu preview go through the positions again robbie what are you drinking so i put a post out on our instagram and uh twitter my brother-in-law mike uh, was up in uh the cape and came back with some treehouse beers so i'm going to be a little bit boring probably for the next two podcasts because they are delicious you got to drink them fresh and you got to drink them early and i have a bunch of them so um sap is uh a beer that i have not had before uh, it's an indian pale ale seven percent treehouse brewery they just opened up uh, a little bit ago their new brewery up uh in massachusetts and it's supposed to be uh, amazing if you ever make it up there they don't distribute this beer so you got to go get it uh, on site um, they don't very distribute it really out, out of the state, if anywhere now. So, but, um, tons of like live bands and stuff like that. It's a massive, uh, brewery now up there in Massachusetts. So be sure to check it out if you ever are up there. I am drinking the Fugly. It's an Oscar blues brewery beer. It's Yuzu fruit and ugly fruit IPA. And it's on the lighter side. It's 5.8%, which is pretty low for an IPA. It's pretty darn good. I I bought it as just like a couple of singles in the uh, make your own six pack situation. And I wasn't did not have high hopes for it, but I've been pleasantly surprised. I'm doing a couple of fruity things. Robbie's doing, you know, the more exclusive beers. I'm doing the more of the ones you could probably get, just get anywhere. So I've got the Fugly from Oscar Blues. And then I have another one that you'll probably see in the stores. I wanted to get the last couple fruit beers in before Labor Day. 
<laughs> that's it's what do they say you can't what is it you can't wear white after labor day or whatever <laughs> right. it is yeah can't drink fruit beers it's after hard labor to drink day. fruity ipas after labor day you got to switch over to the Oktoberfest. so uh so yeah this might be our last one of that i do have a couple Oktoberfests ready to go in my fridge man i'm i'm excited about the fall but but this this fugly is is pretty good it's it's really clear and very crisp and light enough that you can have a few of them nice we obviously got into Florida State a little bit with Andy, but we want to finish it out and kind of give you a better idea of what we're thinking, even though it's tough to predict. We want to go through the positions and everything and, and talk a little bit more about it. One thing I did want to start off with, though, we finally got the updated S&P Plus from Bill Connolly, and he had had us at 21 all off season, and that was with Adonis and with Mook and Jeremy Webb and our full squad essentially. And so when the update came out, it dropped to 34th and we knew it was going to drop, but, uh, that might've even been a little bit more than I was expecting. Yeah, that, um, that was pretty hefty. He does carry a lot of weight on, you know, what that returning group looks like. Um, I don't know how much if you had to factor it between him and Phil Steele. I know Phil Steele is like, over the top in terms of returning production and what he factors that in. And, but um, it obviously plays a pretty key piece in, uh, you know, you lose two guys and uh, you drop that much. Yeah. So the final rankings were S and P at 34 Athlon at 16. Now listening to their podcast, they said they would have dropped us a little bit, but they also would have dropped Miami a little bit. So in terms of the coastal race, I think we would still be second according to Athlon, but maybe that 16 rank would move to 21, 23, something like that. At Phil Steele had us at 40th, and I think 37th in his power poll, but 40th in the preseason poll, how he thinks we'll finish the year. So it's uh, it's definitely skewing towards the latter half of that. And then you look at Florida State's rankings, and you've got Athlon at 13th, Phil Steele at 18th, and the projected S&P is 19th for Florida State after the update. So a fairly significant jump up from where we're at. I still think these teams are pretty similar, but just with the last things we've heard this week, I'm starting to lose some of my confidence because we talked about with Joe how I felt kind of good about this game. I'm starting to not feel so good about this game. <laughs> Yeah, I well, well, we can save it to the end. I agree with you. Um, I I have a thought process on what's really going to determine the game, and um, that's it's going to be kind of my own. But it's I think it's pretty key to what's happened in the past and just looking at history. Everyone knows Florida State struggled last year. They were seven and six. They needed to reschedule a game against ULM to even go to a bowl and then get that seventh win. Some interesting game notes. This is the first time Virginia Tech will open a season against a ranked conference opponent. It's kind of shocking. With all those years in the Big East that we never opened up against someone pretty good, it's surprising. I think it's also only the fifth time that an ACC school has opened up against another ACC school ranked, both teams ranked. So it's only the fifth time in the history of the ACC. Willie Taggart is in his first season at FSU, but he grew up a Knowles fan. He had spent just one season at Oregon, and that was last year. He won seven games and was at USF for the four years prior to that. 
Fuente and him faced off three times when Fuente was at Memphis and Taggart was at USF, and Fuente won all three matchups. I like to see that, especially when you consider the rankings in terms of recruiting and how much better the talent is in Florida for Taggart than what Fuente was dealing with in Memphis. Now, I know he had a star quarterback in Paxton Lynch by the end, but still, when you consider in 2015, Memphis won in Tampa with the 96th best talent in the country. That 247 puts out a talent composite. You can check the rosters going back to 2015. They were 96th in talent. USF was 61. Memphis had one four-star, and they went into now, Tampa and won. Now you're just getting everybody all juiced up. I'm I mean, trying. The, the, I'm the, trying. The parallels there. I'm not exactly saying Blacksburg is Memphis, but... Uh, uh, but in terms 30 of the spots down in the recruiting rankings? <laughs> the recruiting rankings are equally as um, exacerbated, I think, between the two areas. Only four returning starters for FSU this year on defense, eight on offense. They had six guys leave early for the NFL, so that was even worse than what we had. Two went undrafted, but they had six guys drafted overall, including some seniors. They lost Derwin James, Naughty, Sweat, Auden Tate, and two other key defenders. They are replacing a lot, especially on defense. But the fact that they're getting Francois back as the starter, I think that's really huge for them. I think Francois is going to test VT. It sounds like from some of the notes that you've read, probably I've read, that um, you know he's going to test with his legs, but he's got some, a little bit of improvement people have been seeing because they can actually watch practice at Florida State in uh, the short pass game. So, um, you know, that was one of his struggles, I think, that people were frustrated with was the easy passes, not necessarily the long, deep ones that require an arm and, and, and some, some talent there, just kind of, you know, keeping your head about you under pressure. So I think getting Francois is uh, back is and uh, hopefully healthy. I mean, that's the assumption is he's out there, then he's got to be healthy and that'll be a, uh, hopefully a big boon for, for FSU. Hopefully not in this game, though. <laughs> We know the skill talent they have to go along. Francois, Cam Akers, Kalan Laybourne, we touched on a little bit earlier. Jock Patrick, last year's starter, he had seven touchdowns and 735 yards. This stable of backs is so intimidating. But it's really a question of the O-line because when Francois was doing well as the starter, he was still taking an absolute beating. He had 34 sacks against him in 2016. That is an incredible amount of sacks. He kept getting back up, and I, I ended kept, up leading to his injury. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the following gonna... year, it definitely did. <laughs> they couldn't protect him. They couldn't protect Blackman. So it's a question of how they improved. Has the offensive line actually gotten better? They're bringing four starters back. I think they lost two O-linemen of note and maybe a backup just recently. He just left the team. But – they should have a much stronger starting group than last year when they were 117th in tackles for loss and 121st in stuff rate. Like they were just getting stuffed all the time, even with these talented backs and Cam Akers and, and Jock Patrick. This offensive line couldn't help them out at all. So that's really the question. It's not whether Francois is a good quarterback or they have good running backs. They've obviously got weapons at wide receiver. We know about the slot guy, Naquan Murray. He's a returning guy. Tamron Terry, Keith Gavin, and it keeps going down the line, Wilson. So I'm I'm hoping that that offensive line hasn't improved as, as much as Florida State hopes it has. 
I think the known quantities are Francois will come back, I think, the same, if not better, um, than he did and he showed during that 2016 campaign. Cam Akers, I think, is um, slowly blowing up to be a potential Heisman candidate, and I don't think that's overstated uh, in, in any assuming assuming that their offensive line can create room and running holes for him um, and take the, the the pressure off of him. So he has, you take, you know, A.J. Dillon versus Cam Akers, I'm taking A.J. Dillon because I know I have known quantities at Boston College in terms of the offensive line. I don't know what I'm getting. The starters seem okay at offensive line, but they're not deep, and God forbid they take an injury there. Um, they're going to be they're going to be struggling in that position, and then you know that they're going to have athletes at at wide receiver that um, uh, Francois is going to be able to throw to. Is how I evaluate the offense in, in total. Yeah, and you were just talking about how valuable the slot guy could be on our team in Grimsley and how that can open up the field. Well, Murray is their best receiver, and that's where he plays. So that that concerns me with the young linebackers. Hunter's play in this game, Devon Hunter's game, like it's it could be a huge swing factor how well he plays uh, because he's going to be in charge of that slot guy at times. I'm sure we'll throw in a nickel corner sometimes too, but <laughs> he's going to be a big factor. Overall, I think the Florida State offense, they should improve quite a bit on last year. I, I, I just think Blackman was so young and the offensive line was so bad for much of the season that that they should be better. And in 2016, when Francois was the starter, they were 23rds in, in yards per play. I don't know if they'll be a whole lot better than that, but if they're getting close to the top 20 in offensive yards per play, that's a scary proposition. I I really hope that what Andy was talking about, that they're not, not up to speed, that this Gulf Coast offense, it's a new up-tempo offense. Francois didn't even play in the spring. How much of it does he really know, and how comfortable will he be out there in the first start since coming back from the ACL? Those are the, the intangible things we can't really measure. We can look at his stats, and we can look at the guys they have coming back, but will they know the offense well enough to execute it properly? Yeah, I think um, Willie Taggart's bringing in something that's going to be exceptionally new to the program and especially the veterans that are within the system. He also is doing it at a program that's going to be highly successful with it because they can get athletes for days. I mean, there's no doubt about running that high-powered offense um, that they're not going to be successful. I think it's really... And how successful that's up to whatever your determination is, whether that's making, you know, the Atlantic, you know, winning the Atlantic, you know, winning the ACC, whatever the case may be, going to the college football playoff, winning a national championship. They will be good. I just don't know if it's going to be this year or not. That's the question, Mark, is how fast can he install that system? Because it is nothing like the Jimbo system Mm -hmm. at all. It is completely different. And for the veterans, that can sometimes be Fuente talked about it when he first came in is how he was trying to install and how well he thought the veterans adapted to what he was trying to bring to the program versus what Beamer was doing. It's not an easy transition. That's why year ones usually don't go that well. It's nobody's fault. It's just hard to learn a new system that's that different. And we get game one. So that's that's a huge bonus. It really, really is and could be the difference in the game. Their defense is also under new management. It's not necessarily a totally new system like the like the offense, but the D.C. is now longtime Michigan State assistant Harlan Barnett. 
they only have two of their top 10 tacklers back, but there's still kind of a lot of veterans on this D. They just haven't played that much. Just like us, the defensive line is the strength of the defense. And I know they're really high on a handful of the corners and safeties that they have coming back, but their linebacker group, like ours, is all brand new as well. Yeah, uh, and we mentioned it uh, in our initial preview, but um, Demarcus Christmas at defensive tackle is an absolute stud. Um, 300, almost 310 pounds of just pure kind of badass. Uh, and he's probably not even the best on the line at this point because <laughs> they have Marvin Wilson, the five-star that's at 323. Uh, and he's a defensive tackle, just a massive a man. Frederick Jones, um, they are going to be able, at the defensive line, they're going to be able to rotate four pretty easily in and a out D- of the DT. game, I think. Yeah, defensive tackle. Um, and their defensive line or defensive end is not that bad either in terms of having some depth. So I think that's the strength of this defense. And quite frankly, um, could be a little bit frightening for us because we're hoping that the running backs are going to take a step forward for us. Yeah, they're hyping up Brian Burns, a defensive end, like no other. Every article I've read on Florida State, I feel like Burns is in the preview and in the mentions and everyone wants to talk about him. So he he's could have a breakout season for them. Uh, they are replacing guys. And I know the defensive line has more depth than other positions, but it's still some unseen potential, but likely it's going to definitely be their best group on defense and could be really, really good. The linebackers, they have a similar setup to us. They have their Mike linebacker. Then they have what they call the money linebacker, which is the backer position essentially for us. And then they have the star, which is our whip. And Derek Brooks's son, DeKalon Brooks, looks like he's the backup at both the star and the money linebacker. Adonis Thomas is the starter at money, apparently, in the in the, in camp. And Dontavious Jackson is also really solid at Mike. They feel good about their linebackers. And I guess the best thing I can say is that it's a very similar situation to us. We feel really good about our linebackers. People are raving about Rashard Ashby but they're doing the same thing about Dontavious Jackson at their mic down at Florida State. And it's just no one's seen anybody. So we don't know how it's going to look. Yeah, I think they feel more confident about kind of two of their three at the linebacker position and then a third that's a little bit more questionable. But um, they're, I don't think they have a lot. Of, I, I, I was trying to dig into it. I don't think they have a ton of depth there. Um, so, you know, I think their starters are going to be excellent um, in terms of raw talent, but I'm not so sure about the depth there at that position. Um, so we'll, we'll see. And in the back, they got Levante Taylor, who's like a shutdown corner. Kyle Myers is going to play opposite him. He has some experience. And Stanford Samuels, his he's a free safety this year. He moved over from corner, and they were worried about his health. They're pretty sure he's going to play. So now they get their essentially their three best DBs on the field at once by moving a corner to free safety in Samuels. And he is a little bit bigger. He had the second most havoc plays as a freshman last year. He's a really good player. Plenty of talent to fill the holes in the depth. Uh, again, just not a lot of experience. I, I can't stress enough how similar this defense is to our defense and, and just the yeah. two teams in general. And it's not a knock on our guys, but I think the talent at FSU is just it's just a notch above. So right. if we're all on the same playing field in terms of being raw and inexperienced, and we're going to have to rely on how quickly you can learn 
what your scheme's going to be, and then talent. They're winning the talent game. I mean, that's why. That's and we're that's winning the coordinator games. And then we're winning the coordinator game. So then it's how quick you can get up to speed and how quick you can learn um, and, and get on the field and be productive. Uh, so I think that's really where the rub comes in for the defense is um, I think we win the corner uh, every time they win the talent. If you don't know that, then just go look at every recruiting ranking that's yeah, people have come in there. Uh, and then um, if you look at um, you know how quickly you can pick it up and execute in game one, that's really going to be where the rub is for one team or the other. I think it, they could be sloppy in week one. Their their pass rush, it, it definitely scares me. But just like us, I think they could definitely have some breakdowns, some sloppy play in the back, and we could take advantage of that. And I, I'm really hoping that's an avenue for us to get some long touchdowns. Well, that's one thing that we just haven't seen. Well, we know it hasn't happened in the running game. And in the passing game, we did have some bombs to Cam last year, but even those were few and far between. We, Josh's long ball was not his strength. And I, I don't necessarily need think it needs to be a strength for him in this game just because we can attack those linebackers in the middle of the field, those 10, 15, 20-yard throws. But it would be nice to get some easy scores because we're going to have to I think it's going to be like a shootout. We're going to have to keep up. I wouldn't be surprised if this is like, well, we'll get into that, but like a 42 35 game. Yeah. I, I honestly think it could be a high scoring game. Um, just given what, you know, what it looks like. Do you want to do a quick beer break before we make our picks? Pete, what are you having? I'm having the UFO pineapple simple. It's just UFO pineapple. It's a Hefeweizen with some tropical fruit, as you might imagine. It's got a little bit of the goze thing going on. It's a little bit tart, but not much, like not not to the point that I dislike it. You know I'm not a huge sour beer guy, but this is just that little bit of tart with the pineapple flavor that I really, really like. Uh, like I said, trying to squeeze in the last few tastes of the summer here. So UFO pineapple, if you see it in your stores, I would grab a sixer. This is this is a good rooftop beer. Nice. I'm going with uh, another treehouse beer. This one's called Bright. It's 7.8 percent. It's a double IPA. Uh, it's uh, brewed obviously out of Massachusetts, so it's got citra hops in there. I would say, in terms of the treehouse beers that I've had, now. This one would be like kind of middle of the pack. I think it's actually really good. It's refreshing. It's perfect because of how hot out it is right now. And now we're about to end summer. So it's a good time to have it. Um, it's got a ton of fruit flavor in it. It's very, you know, it's lighter than kind of a typical double IPA that I would expect out of Treehouse. So uh, I like it a lot. If you can get your hands on it, especially during uh, the warm weather months uh, that we're still left in, then I would uh, absolutely do it. It's good. So we'll do our pick against the spread along with our keys to the game, I suppose. As we talked about with Andy, the spread is seven and a half, and it has been moving around a bunch. I think it was six back in the summer at one point, maybe even a little bit lower. But for us, we have got to keep our defense off the field. With the issues at defensive tackle and just the youth in general, we just need to control the clock. And if they can build on what they did in the bowl game, and run the ball 200, 
250 yards-ish. Stephen Peoples, McLeese. We are definitely going to have a chance to win. It's We have to win time of possession. I don't think in any game as of late it would be as important to win time of possession as it is in this game hot down in Tallahassee week one against a powerful Florida State team. I agree with you. I think this really comes down to coaching, quite frankly, in this game. But nobody's seen that much of either team. They don't know what talent's coming back. Andy Bitter just spent a you know a, a bunch of time telling us how he doesn't even have a, a perfect feel for this game when a lot of times you know, the beat writers have more insight about the demeanor, the feeling of the program, etc. Whether people are high or low or just off their game in the way that they're answering questions, he doesn't have a feel for it, which makes me suspect that this could go either direction. I think Fuente is going to throw some stuff out there on the offense that's going to be um, what people aren't suspecting. I think Bud is going to have to come up with some solutions to try and contain the inexperience. And I think that Virginia Tech ends up losing the game, but it ends up being like like the kind of final five minutes, and they lose by like three or something along those lines. Most is probably my pick. Yeah. No, I, I do. I mean, it's a home game, right? Like Nobody's saying that going down to Tallahassee is an easy game. you got to listen to the damn war chant for you know, oh, four God. and a half hours. So, um, and, but it's not an easy, it's not the hardest place to play, but it's not an easy spot. It's a home no. game. Let's, let's call it what it is. And um, I think you know, there's a reason that what? There's usually a three-point hook on, uh, on home games, and that's probably what's going to happen here. Yeah, I will take Virginia Tech against the spread. Picking us to win with the momentum of the last like week and a half, I'm I I've cooled off on on feeling good about a win outright. I don't I want to see how this week goes. For me, it's always about like a gut feeling going into the games and all summer leading up to West Virginia, I felt really really good. I felt confident the more I read, the better I felt. They didn't have enough on defense, and that proved to be the difference in the game, even though our defense did not show up the way we expected them to against WVU. Something equally weird could happen in this game, and we don't know, but I, I agree with you. And If we want to talk about the coaching advantage, just based on the fact that Fuente has been with our program three years and Taggart's been there for six months, whatever, that's a huge advantage. That is a huge advantage, and take the production out of it, the returning production, take uh, recruiting rankings out of it, at least we have that coaching advantage. So I'm going to hang my hat on that. I, I'm i going to take us against the spread. I wouldn't be surprised if we won the game. I, I know everyone thinks we're just going to get our asses kicked. A lot of the, the more negative hookies out there are like, you're absolutely nuts for thinking we even have a chance in the game. I don't think it's nuts. But, yeah, it's going to be tough to win. I would not be surprised at any outcome in this game. None. Like, come back to me with, a like, yes, an extreme blowout than I would be. Like a a 35-10 game, I'd be like, all right, I I didn't see that come. But otherwise, one team winning the other, what I would say is, and I think it was solid verbal, I think they brought this up when they were talking about what... um, what narratives could you know games cause? It was a, like a question and answer from one of the fans. What na- what like false um, narratives could you pull away from a game? And I think they brought up this game 
as one of them, which was reminiscent to when Texas, I think, in Notre Dame played in like that shootout uh, a while back. And everybody was like, oh, man, both these teams. It was the opener. Yeah. Like, yeah oh, yeah. man, both these teams are going to be. And they were sh- shitty. It was just like, two bad teams, teams just tossing it, was just it up too bad. each other. Just, yeah. So I, I caution everybody that if I hope the hell we pull out this game, but even if we do, uh, unless you see something on the field that is like eye-opening, I would just be cautious of what that actually means for, for the season. It's true. It's true. Hey, at least we get the coach's room for this game. Oh, man. I am so excited for it. It's going to be... It's I'm all the more reason why I hope we show up. <laughs> I'm recording. Uh, I might. Re- I might. I'm going to use all three of my recordings. Evidently, there's analytics that get pumped out on one of the ESPN stations. Uh, you get obviously uh, Herbie um, doing his call, and then you get the coaches' station. So I think I'm going to be simultaneously recording all three of those. I might watch this game in different, depending on the outcome, obviously, and <laughs> yeah. uh, all three. But no matter what, I'll probably still go back and You'll watch the around. coaches. Well, no, I meant after if I don't watch it live, I would even if we lose, I would go back and listen to the coaches um, because there is a lot of. I mean, with Hugh Freeze, I mean, there's a yeah, lot Mac of cool Brown, insight. Todd Graham, there's a couple other yeah. ones. I mean, there's really good, fun. Good and we got Marty on. Smith in a blimp, right? <laughs> Yeah, Marty Smith's going to be doing it from a blimp. Uh, so I'm. Uh, I, I, listen, I you know you laugh, but I think that's you know, and Chris Fowler, who I love. There's going there's so much to be excited about. It's for a this lot of game. exposure. Yeah, and uh, but I do I am excited because I don't think Virginia Tech's ever had the coaches' room. They haven't been doing that for that long. But the insight that you get from those coaches' room uh, things are incredible and on the program what the coaches are seeing versus what the fans i'm see. not sure they've ever done it for anything but like a national championship or a semifinal. like i i don't ever remember it being for like a smaller game I, maybe they did do it the opening week last year i just don't remember uh there was an in the news i think they said that i can't i can't recall i think they may have done it one other time for a not national championship game it's pretty cool it really will be cool and you're right you definitely have to set your dvrs to record the coach's room let's do the rest of these picks before we sign out miami playing fsu on sunday in arlington miami's number eight and lsu's number 25 miami's three and a half point favorites who you got robbie uh miami i I don't I, i don't think LSU is going to be good at all this year. I'm also on the Miami train. UNC going up against Cal. Only reason I picked this game is because I thought it was kind of a funny out-of-conference game for one of our ACC foes. Cal is seven-and-a-half-point favorites at home against UNC and their suspensions. Who do you got? I mean, this is a coin flip. It's It's a a weird one, I know. (laughs) It's so bizarre. Uh I guess I'm going to guess UNC pulls it off just because Fedora is trying to keep his job at this point. That's all I can say. I'm going to take Cal and I'm, I'm, I'm think they're going to cover that seven and a half West that's Virginia. Not a good, that's not a good sign for uh, <laughs> UNC for the season. Let me tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't be a good start to the season for them. West Virginia playing Tennessee and Charlotte. West Virginia is ranked number 17. Tennessee is unranked after their 0-8 in the SEC last year. And West Virginia's 10-point favorites. It's a lot of points. It is a lot of points. I'm still going to take those points. 
So am I. I think West Virginia is going to smoke uh, Tennessee. Yeah, I, I, don't I guess know. I mean lay the points. I'm taking West Virginia uh, to cover those taking- 10, whatever. I uh, I think that Will Greer, Sills combo, and just that offense, it's going to throw up enough points on Tennessee that they might not quit because I think Pruitt will get them better. I kind of like his demeanor. Um, but I just think they're, they've got a long way to go with Tennessee. Well, Sills is – I mean, his whole story, being a star quarterback, moving back, starting at West Virginia and going away, coming back, yeah. and now – He's he's getting votes for like preseason All American yeah. at, at wide receiver, which is pretty incredible. So um, and so is Greer. I mean that that one two combo. Even if you're wrong about one of them, you got a pretty good player. We'll see. Washington at Auburn. This is the highest ranked matchup of the weekend. Washington's number six. Auburn is number nine, and it's in Atlanta. Auburn's a one and a half point favorite. So depending on how you want to look at that. It's virtually a pick em. I'm going to go with Chris Peterson. I'm going to take Washington, uh, especially since they're giving him a point and a half. I'll, I'll take Washington. Yeah, I struggled with this. There's The hype train for Auburn has gotten – it's about it's – it's reaching Boston College levels at this point and has <laughs> only picked up more and more steam. And then I don't, I don't fully get it. I I listen to all every all the commentary, but nobody's really making any sound like logical arguments other than like, oh yeah, every three years Auburn does really well, and it's like okay, it's year three, it's like cicadas coming out every seventeen, like it just has to happen. So I'm going with Washington as well, even though it, this is effectively going to be a home game for Auburn in terms of how many fans. I don't know how well Washington travels, but yeah. it's got to be a ton of Auburn fans there. But I'm going to go with Washington well. I, I like Chris Peterson. I think he can come out in a game one and do, do really well. I do remember being shocked by the number of Boise State fans that showed up to FedEx when we played them. So maybe it would be a similar situation there where you've got a Chris Peterson West Coast uh, Northwest team and their fans, which has a much larger alumni and fan base, might might decide to take make that trip to Atlanta. So we'll see. But you're you're right in general. I would expect it to be at least sixty percent Auburn in that stadium. Michigan at Notre Dame, the last game we're gonna pick. And this one is actually in Notre Dame's no neutral site here. The old rivalry. Michigan's number fourteen, Notre Dame is twelve, and Notre Dame's a one point favorite. So again, a virtual pick 'em here. I like Michigan. I know you hate Harbaugh, and I hate him too. But that defense and and Don Brown, man, their defense and Don Brown, the defense and Don Brown are fantastic. I, there's nothing I can say uh, bad about that defense. Um, I mean the the old rivalry is kind of kind of back here in that, and it's a home game for Notre Dame. I think Michigan might actually be. And their hype train is through the roof as well. Might actually be the better team, but I think Notre Dame might pull this out just as a home game kind of uh, atmosphere. And it won't be by much. I would see this as an extremely close game. A couple points, you know, field goal. That's that's really all I would see out there. But you're going to take Notre Dame against yeah. the spread? Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I'm excited to see that one because if Shea Patterson is like, I don't know. 70% of what they are talking about he's going to be. I mean, they're going, it's to the point of like, 
where we're going, we don't need roads. Hype train, like the flying train from Back to the Future, is is what's that's on. And there's only one truth in this world: they don't shut up about their own program. Yeah. Like that's 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 it, right? So, yeah, we, yeah, no, he's we saw him play. He's a transfer. Like we saw, like you know, and people said high things about him, but unless. Harbaugh is not exactly a QB whisperer that's uh, really pumping. pumping well, he kind of was considered one for a little while there, but yeah. Corn and you know who else the hell do they have? Well, the Kaepernick on the 49ers, he he pulled the best out of him, and uh, I'm talking what, about Andrew Luck. Wasn't that his quarterback at Stanford? That's pretty damn good. <laughs> since he's been at Michigan, what uh, well, quarterback has he they, put out there that you've ever been scared of? I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. But they this guy is pretty good he's the best that he's had to work with i would say so i still would take the under on this game i don't even know what it is but i think these defenses are just gonna like clobber the offenses so i agree michigan is really really good but i think it's because of their defense i don't there's nothing about their offense that really makes me all that frightened like if we were going to play them but their defense is utterly scary i mean it's ridiculous i think we've said enough we finally made it. It is week one. Week zero is in the books. Week one coming up. We are the last game of the weekend. We are going to struggle to get through next weekend. Fortunately, we have lots of good games to watch along the way. Ah, uh, man, I am just so jacked up, dude. I have. I am so freaking excited. I, I have also started because I've been getting less ex- like optimistic. Like I, I'm making my peace with a loss. I'm trying to make my peace with a loss. I, I will never accept a loss and actually be happy about it, obviously. But that, if I can come to accept that a loss is a possibility, which I wasn't there about three weeks ago, uh, I will handle the game a lot better in general, no matter what happens. Yes. If you can feel comfortable about the fact that we really don't know what the hell is going to happen yeah. in this game, and we might not be that good in this game, and if you can just go and excited about seeing games, then all the better. It is, I really it, just don't. I don't want it to be. I, you remember the last game that we had like this, uh, and I hate to bring it back was the Ohio State Virginia Tech game, uh, our home game the year after that we won, and it got the full Herb Street, oh yeah, Fowl, Fowler treatment. We got the walk up. We got the Enter Sandman. Everything beautiful. Luckily, day. oh my gosh, but. I mean, it was it was gorgeous. Like everything that they showed, you had like you know all the fireworks, you know the parachuter coming in. But I, and I was not very happy after we lost that game. I was pretty angry, but I was there. You in felt person. good about that game. You were where I was for this game. Like I think, and I and in leading up to it, you were confident we'd win. And I think if Brewer didn't go down with an injury, we might have pulled that one out. I, I really do think that it would have been a lot closer than it would have been. Yeah. So I just hope we keep this game close. So that we don't have to get any rolling of the eyes. Hey, why are we I still know. doing commentary? Uh, and when they start talking about, when you start talking about like what happened the night before or two nights before, and like the week two matchups in like the fourth quarter, that's not a good look. So keep it close. We want this to be a game in the fourth quarter, even if that game is ten points or something. Like, don't. Don't have a Miami situation here where it's just like we're just getting slaughtered midway through the third quarter. Like we want to be in the game the whole time. That is the goal. Even if you lose, even if you lose and they cover the spread, stay in the game 
because there's going to be so much exposure for the program. And if Josh looks good, we're going to start hearing those Fuente really is a QB whisperer type stories for that game and beyond. Yep, I agree. One more thing we wanted to mention is the key play is having a watch party at the boardroom in Arlington, the new one, right, Robbie? Yeah, the boardroom, uh, there's a one in D.C. Uh, I don't know if they have other locations, but uh, they picked up the old, uh, however you would pronounce it, Seacraft Brewery uh, location in Clarendon, right on the corner spot. They got like fire pit outside, chairs inside. They're going to have a dedicated room for watching. The other thing to note is uh, I was going through looking at what the new spot was going to look like. The beer list uh, looks really fantastic, actually. There's a bunch of beers on here that some of which I haven't even had, and I'll probably be swinging by there just to to have some of them. But um, really cool spot. I think it'll be awesome and uh, a good time for everybody that wants to come out and watch uh, Florida State and Virginia Tech. That sounds like a lot of fun. I will be up in Philly, so I will miss that party, but the Philadelphia Hokies and their alumni association, we're having a watch party at Milk Boy on South Street. So if you're in the Philadelphia region and you want to come watch the game, I will be there. We're starting the pregame party around 7 o'clock. All right, hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. Instagram, follow the new account. We're posting pictures almost every other day. We've got a lot of pictures up there already. Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, review. And email 2deepvt at gmail.com. 2deepvt.com is our website where you can stream every podcast. And until next time, go Hokies. <laughs>